As we think about the world today, whether it's climate change or, you know, political intensity that we're feeling and seeing right now, the world is quite uncertain. And so it is bumps, bumps up against uh, institutions that, yes, they need to be grounded. Um, that's really important. And at the same time, they need to move and evolve. And what technology can do is it can help with that. But we're never going to get it right if we're not listening to the folks we are trying to serve in a real distinct way and learning how to get better at that. Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we share with you the business stories, ideas, and trends shaping the future of customer experience, told firsthand by the experts themselves in thought-provoking conversations. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer at User Testing. And I'm Andy McMillan, CEO at User Testing. And today we're very excited to have Amanda Renteria joining us on the Human Insight Podcast. Amanda is the CEO of Code for America, which works to improve government in meaningful ways. She's worked in the financial sector, been a teacher in her hometown, and spent most of her career in the public sector, where she was previously Chief of Operations at the California Department of Justice, National Political Director for Hillary Clinton's 2016 U.S. Presidential Campaign, and Chief of Staff for one U.S. Senator. Thanks so much for joining us today, Amanda, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. This year, Code for America announced the creation of the Safety Net Innovation Lab, which will work with state governments to reimagine and rebuild delivery of accessible and equitable benefits. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Innovation Lab in a bit, but first, for this insight segment, we asked uh, user testing contributors about their experiences accessing safety net benefits, such as food assistance, housing, or healthcare. So let's see what they have to say. Um, these benefits are really important for me and my family because this is how we survive. This is how, you know, I definitely can't just go out and, um, you know, make all this extra money whenever I have two children, a small child, and, you know, I'm going to school and I'm working. It's just a little bit um, harder for me. So these benefits definitely help me and my children. Um, these are very important, especially um, during a time when my income isn't as high. Um, I'm able to still access food for my family while being able to support them in other ways. They help me buy food. They help me go to the doctor, they help my kids go to the doctor, they help my kids eat. We were on unemployment because of COVID and I was pregnant. Um, so it helped significantly in being able to continue to eat well enough to sustain a pregnancy. Very important. Um, my husband is in the Air Force and we are currently stationed in Hawaii. And everybody knows how extensive Hawaii is. Once you apply, it's very easy to apply, but the process of actually um, submitting documents, speaking to somebody about it, them getting proof of your income, where you work, um, what vehicles you have under your name, how much you pay towards those vehicles, your house, any other bills, and they take all of that into consideration before giving you any SNAP benefits specifically. And uh, there, are, uh, there are times when you have to stand in line uh, uh, at the offices and fill out forms and there uh, there can be chances of documentation uh, problems or they may have problems verifying the document. 
Yes, I feel like the questions are, some of them were a little bit confusing. Having to use a desktop, I can't use my my phone, which is always with me. Um, multiple forms, There's so there were some questions asking for my children's income when I have a nine-year-old, and I'm like, well, of course they're not gonna have an income. And then there's the interview part of the application process. So it's not, in my opinion, as easy. I know from my previous experience of me trying to apply for stuff, um, other than Medicaid or food stamps, they were they wanted to know way more of my personal business than what I was comfortable in giving them. So I just decided to not worry about it. They just put you through so much when you shouldn't have to go through that much when you need help. What would you think of the ability to access and managing these type of benefits using text messages? I think it would make life a lot easier. <laughs> I think it would be great to be able to do it through text. I mean, everybody has a phone nowadays. Everybody is texting and on their phone. So I think that those would increase accessibility for a lot of people. That would be way easier to do because it's just a lot. Sometimes they call you and you don't even know that they call and then they'll just turn off their stamps and you have to go down there and get them turned back on. It's just such a process and it's, it's really ridiculous for that. So Amanda, what were your uh, initial reactions to, to that feedback? Um, you know, a couple of things. Number one, um, I love when we can actually, as an organization, but just in general, when you can actually hear from the folks you're trying to reach, right? Whether it's asking, how do we do this better? Or just listening the impact it has had. Um, it's one of the core pieces to Code for America's development is not only do we make sure that's where we start with our number one value is listen first. But the second piece to that is it's really important for us as an organization to never be far, too far from the clients we're trying to serve. And so we also take the time um, to listen to those voices on our weekly wins as we go through um, our organization because you need that feedback loop. Um, and so when I listen to them, it's important to hear both what we can make better. And when we do get it right, the motivation to, gosh, that's the vision of why we're in this place to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. The power of connecting with, with other people and just with other humans and understanding their challenges, their pains, seeing them, making that personal connection with them. It's it's so powerful. Yeah. And it's also just really interesting, right? Like for those who might not have lived experience or might be years away from that lived experience, it does bring you back to, ah, I remember what it's like to walk in somebody else's shoes, right? I remember what that moment was like, or if I've never had it, you really get a texture for that different than in surveys. The voice, you know, the more we can actually interact in that way. Um, I think particularly COVID and our time away from each other, um, it's made it even more important that we take the time to listen in different ways. Absolutely. So Code for America launched the Safety Net Innovation Lab earlier this year. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and, and, and what you're looking to accomplish with that program? So it's We've been in work for about a decade now on food assistance programs. Um, that's where we first started is how do we make it easier for folks to access a program that has been made to provide assistance to folks? And what we realize is the paper process, the having to go from one office to the next office, 
all of that um, adds to the burden of what people face. It also adds to the distrust that people have with government in general. And so part of what we've learned over time is technology can actually help smooth out this process, right? The front door can be in your hand. You maybe don't have to go through five different processes in order to get to five different benefits. Again, you can do it through technology, um, through one front door and being able to make it easier for people applying. And so our work um, over the course of the last 10 years has really taught us what are the key barriers people face in accessing government. And not just as a matter of logistics, but also as a matter of how you are treated. We have a real chance with technology, with the kind of technology we're building, specifically what we call human-centered technology, to do it in a way where we have a welcoming front door to all the different programs in a state. Now, in some states, that's one, two. In other states, that's seven, like in the state of Minnesota, where we brought nine different programs together. Um, and so what we're trying to do is state by state, um, go through and help to make that process more friendly, smoother, easier, um, human-centered. Um, so our work and what we're so excited about is not simply that we're going to go state by state, but that we're actually doing it in a way that brings states together and shares best practices across the board as we're doing it. And so our big Uber goal is 15 states um, unlocking $30 billion in benefits for 13 million families. Um, and so that's the top line of it. But the complexity is equally exciting because we're bringing frontline public servants to the to the discussion and saying, how can we help you serve people better? And how do we actually go barrier by barrier to make it easier? And so that's the stuff that most people don't see behind the scenes. But it is how you have a welcoming front door to have government institutions work in a way that really is meeting people where they are. It's such a great initiative. It's such a, a powerful strategy. I love when you talk about, you know, almost human-centered government, like, you know, it, government for the people, by the people, but sort of sometimes isn't about the people. So uh, it's really uh, excellent to hear you talk about how we do that. When you think about using tech to connect people in a more inclusive way, and I like how you talk about how do you bring maybe the stakeholders, the people that deliver those services to the table, like what are some examples of how you rally people to change? I mean, we, we hear people talking about change management, like how do you get these initiatives going? And do you have some examples of sort of where we see early success? Because I think it's really important. You know, right now, um, you and this has been true in the pandemic, actually, before the pandemic is you have a lot of caseworkers that are overwhelmed by the volume they have. So if we can help a good example of this is, you know, if you imagine, um, a caseworker who has a pile of papers and you're like, let me try and help take that pile of papers and at least turn it into, instead of one big pile, three different ones. And if you could then this pile, you need to, this pile, they, they are bumping up against problem A. These, this pile is bumping up against problem B and this problem is bumping up against problem C. Just naming that for a lot of folks makes that big pile feel like you can actually get through it. And then we take them on the next step. So first it's about showing, here's what we can do to help triage. And then, you know what, problem A is pretty easy, right? We can basically change the way we're asking this question because people are getting tripped up on this question. And that's what this pile is about, right? And now that feels manageable and you actually can improve it. Um, you know, the second pile might be a little bit harder, but if we just actually had this process, so you're not making clients go from, you know, answer this complicated math problem that they have to give to you, hmm, let's simplify that, right? That tackles that one. And maybe then you have pile C, which is a lot 
smaller, more complicated, but now you can actually have the bandwidth um, to and the grace to go, all right, now I know I'm going to need to spend more time in this pile. How do we get there? Um, and so that story or that example is really breaking down the problem so that it's manageable and then having these small wins to show, all right, we didn't tackle the whole thing, but problem A, remember we just did that question a little different and all of a sudden that pile went away. Um, so it's as much about making problems tangible and able to solve. And then the inspiration on the back end, and I, I can't express this part enough, which is it really is pretty fantastic as a public servant to hear that what you are delivering worked. And the feedback of how you helped people in that moment is really the humanity in it all. Um, and so for us, we try our best when we work with states and we work with clients to have them actually hear the real result of the smooth process and having a respectable front door where people feel like you've empowered them um, by these small, what one might deem small systems change. Yeah. So uh, it's, I love this, this idea of approaching the problem and sort of breaking it down into steps and almost prioritizing and not prioritizing, but uh, grouping the problem into different types of problems because different types of problems require different solutions and different approaches to solving those problems. So it's a really, really interesting way to sort of break down a pretty complex thing, or at least it's been made complex. Um, another initiative uh, that Code for America is pursuing is simplifying tax filing. And I can definitely uh, relate to this one. <laughs> um, for our second uh, Insights segment, we asked a bunch of user testing contributors to share their experiences, uh, understanding their tax obligations and credits and the filing process. So uh, let's listen to, to what they have to say. We'd like to know more about your experience filing taxes and taking advantage of any available credits eligible to you. <laughs> the first time I filed taxes, uh, scary. I didn't know what I was doing. And so, uh, it really stressed me out. <laughs> you know, I didn't know if I completely did it correct. Something might come back wrong, you know, um, make sure the address. It, it, it was pretty much overwhelming to me. Um, how confident are you that you are aware of all benefits you are eligible for, such as earned income or child tax credit? I'm not confident in that. Last time we had child tax credit, we did not ask for it. And even though it was nice, it kind of screwed us over in the next year on our taxes. So as far as I'm concerned, I do not want it. I'm not very confident in my ability to claim all the benefits eligible to me because I was with the same person for a long time and we split up and I have never filed taxes as a single person with two children. No idea how to do it. This year my dad did them because there was state taxes involved um, and I didn't feel like doing it so my dad did it this year. What do you think the experience is like? Uh, today, for someone filing taxes for the first time, or who may be homeless, or has been living in multiple places, or who only gets paid in cash, or has experienced some other unstable life event. Uh, some of the challenges would just be getting together any documentation that you would need, knowing and being aware of um, how to categorize certain things, such as like um, getting paid in cash. And also, if they're experiencing um, difficult life events, just the capacity to 
recognize all those things to try to be on top of them and um, know what to do, I think, is just overwhelming. So those would be some challenges that I would expect. I think it would be difficult. I think it would be really, really crushing uh, for someone who's never done it. And it would be stressful and overwhelming. But of course, if you're just putting in the numbers off the paper, copying, you, you'll you still get something, but you'll probably, you know, hurt yourself in the long run. Because I think filing taxes should be way more easier than what it is. If there was an easier way to do taxes, I'd definitely do it because they're a real pain. Oh, yeah. Having the forms pre-filled with the same info would be very helpful. Maybe instead of like turning it straight in to the IRS, you know, somebody on the other end, you know, checks over it or even have like a um, a video chat on our phone at the same time we are filing it out just in case we have any questions. Yeah, taxes are uh, stressful and confusing to me, too. It's uh, it's never a fun or easy thing to go through. And uh, it's sort of this weird zone of legal requirements and technical uh, confusing terminology and really catches a lot of people. It's, it's challenging. And you can hear it in the videos. I mean, <laughs> it, it is really, really yeah. hard. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more from your perspective, Amanda, about the problem, its scope, and then maybe some kind of innovative solutions that are being tested and tried around the country to maybe make this a little less painful? So taxes... Uh, is one of the areas that it just is hard. And it's also something a lot of folks understand, right? Um, uh, or, and I'll also say, are really scared of. Um, particularly the folks that we're serving in our low-income communities, that this is where we see actually trust sort of bounce up in really significant ways. Um, and so the number one thing we often bump into, especially when we're talking about taxes, is first making sure people feel comfortable, um, making sure that um, we are not showing up banging on the door, but instead we are showing up saying, listen, this is going to be okay. We're going to figure out a simple process. And anytime you get stuck, see the chat box, <laughs> right? It's right there. It's prominent. So it can actually help you in that moment. Um, and so one of the big pieces that we were a part of is when the child tax credit came out, we immediately ran um, tests on would we be able, would this process, would the current system as it exists, would people be able, who've never filed before, be able to make it through? Um, we did a couple of hundred going through and we realized actually one made it through and it was wrong. Um, that was really telling for us to say, is there a way we could build a you know, map out a question process, build an app that can really do help people through a process they wouldn't be able to get through otherwise. Um, we worked, we worked really hard with regulators to say and explain if you ask this question in this way, people aren't going to get through or the IRS is going to be stuck with people are going to be stuck in the system. And what's worse is now you're going to have thousands, millions of people sitting there because they answered a question incorrectly. And so um, we went through a really actually quite collaborative approach to just show what would happen. Um, and that allowed us to actually build a question file that was easier to get through, particularly for folks who had never filed before. 
Um, and that really is what helped with throughput. And so it's the simple language. Um, it's actually testing each question. How many people did we lose when we asked this question? Right. And why? Um, and then it's ensuring that along the way, particularly for complicated forms, that along the way you're saying, okay, if you're worried, here's a chat place. You know, and sometimes we'll ask a prompt, like, are you doing okay? Do you need, you know, do you need help here? And like just that we learned actually made people comfortable and continue to stay in the application system. Um, so some of this is, you know, when you think about it, it's a lot of common sense, putting that into an application, putting that into a form that doesn't have a human, but feels like it has a human is a really important aspect for throughput, particularly if you've never tried something before, like our, what we call our non-filers in the tax filing system. I think that's really insightful. And I like your part at the beginning about just making people feel comfortable. My uh, my 13-year-old umpires baseball games, and he told me this year, <laughs> one of the things he wants to make sure that doesn't happen is he doesn't make $600 because his friend told him he'd have to file taxes, and that will be very hard. <laughs> so I like that even at 13 years old, he has a fear of filing taxes that I thought was sort of fascinating. <laughs> so uh, I think I think you're on to something there with just the, the general concern. So, um, you know, one thing I wanted to ask you about is you were recently appointed by President Biden to his Commission on Advancing Educational Equity, Excellence and Economic Opportunity for Hispanics. Uh, congratulations on that recognition. Uh, as we wrap up Hispanic Heritage Month, uh, I wonder if maybe you could just share with us a little bit of what does that month mean to you? Um, so I'm really proud to be um, a daughter of uh, immigrant father from Mexico, Mexican-American mother. Um, and I'm reminded um, just that in this country, uh, the reason why they believe this country was a land of opportunity for my sisters and I is because it welcomed my dad here. Um, and not just welcomed him here, but we've enmeshed in the culture of not just the American culture, but seeing the Mexican culture um, also, right? I think salsa is now bigger than ketchup. You know, these beautiful ways that, you know, only in America... Um, happen, right? Like Spanglish talking in the White House, right? People use these different terms that we've all become um, comfortable with. And so for me, it's a beautiful mixing of what it is to be American uh, in general. And I also, I also recognize um, the responsibility that we have of also making sure that gaps between cultures don't exist in the way that they do today. And so, so much of our work at Code for America, we actually see the inequities, right? We do the analysis to say, why does this program have a huge gap with the Latino community and how can we figure out a way to serve that? Um, and what we learn is actually when you do close those gaps, it's not just better for the Latino Hispanic community, but it's actually better for all when we become simple and we learn how to actually build those connections and those bridges. Um, it becomes just easier, but also a little bit more interesting to dive into the different cultural, um, the different cultural um, references, the different cultural realities. I'll just give one example. Um, when you're using Spanish, it is actually um, for applications, it is actually more effective to use formal language uh, in in our apps um, when you're trying to get people to trust it, believe it, and make it through versus what we've learned in English is, hey, the more welcoming and maybe informal language is a really nice way of welcoming someone in the door. I love those insights. And I love that in some 
way I can help um, connect that bridge for this administration. Uh, and I look forward to doing that. That's a super interesting tidbit. I can just imagine the number of listeners that just wrote that little tidbit down as well. I mean, we have a, <laughs> often a sort of a research-centric audience and uh, I think really enjoy learning about those differences and, and understanding, you know, why things work in certain ways for certain people. And to your point, sort of celebrating what's fun about what's different and what can we learn. So that was that was really that's interesting. It's it's fun. I see it. You know, you're just talking about your kids. There's also like the generational aspect. Right. So even what we know today, right now, it is going to be quite different 10 years from now. Um, that to me is also just as a human, we are never done learning and we're always evolving, makes it a really fascinating place to be at Code for America because we're studying it in real time and seeing the implications of that. One of the benefits of a 13 year old is they do often tell me we don't do it that way anymore. So that is a <laughs> it's constantly <laughs> a constant reminder. You're exactly you're exactly right. The humility of it. I have an almost 13-year-old. And so I look forward to even more of the questioning. Yeah, this notion of of uh, people just inherently and continuously changing is fascinating. And I think it's one of the things that really motivates people that are in roles uh, that are built to understand people and bring that understanding back into the business or into the organization that they're that they're working on. And I think this is, Janelle, I think this is one of the hard parts about government systems is that they were built on this idea that you figured it out and now we're done, right? Like even government, like the big columns of a government building, right? This is the answer, right? And this is, this is where we are. And we're actually now trying to shift that we're always moving. Um, actually it isn't, you know, it, it might look right now, but we're always moving. And I think particularly as we think about the world today, whether it's climate change or, you know, political intensity that we're feeling and seeing right now, the world is quite uncertain. And so it is bumps, bumps up against, uh, institutions that, yes, they need to be grounded. Um, that's really important. And at the same time, they need to move and evolve. And what technology can do is it can help with that, but we're never going to get it right if we're not listening to the folks we are trying to serve in a real distinct way and learning how to get better at that. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that. Um, we're going to move into our lightning question round. So this is a set of questions that we ask every guest on our podcast. So first one is, uh, what's a book that you've recently read that you'd recommend to our listeners? So I'm reading it now and I'll give credit to my husband because I took it off of his bookshelf um, on his side of the bed, <laughs> The Book of Joy. Um, the latest book by Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. Um, sometimes I will just flip to a page. Sometimes I'll get, have the chance to like read it, but I'm about halfway through, but I also cheat. And sometimes just like, I want to just flip to a page and gra grab some wisdom about joy. Um, so I, I think it's always good to actually, I've usually had a book where you're reading it all the way through from forward to back, but I think it's actually quite good to have one of those random books on the side or a book that you can flip to the middle and think that you could just get some wisdom and the Book of Joy is one of those. Awesome. Thank you for that recommendation. Um, what's a piece of advice that you would give someone trying to convince other people uh, to invest in customer feedback and invest in listening to their to their customers? I One of the things that we like to do at Coach for America is listen to the before and listen to the after. So the way folks felt before. Uh, in the process, and then after going through utilizing our mobile app, the way they felt after. 
um, I think in a world of human connection to see that you helped do that even for one person is really inspiring. And most public servants I know, um, they got into it to try and help. And uh, I think there's nothing quite more powerful than actually seeing how it really did impact others. All right. And uh, when you think about the future of government, what are you most excited about? Most excited about the work we're doing. I'm most excited about this generation's calling to say, how do you, I mean, some people call it modernize. Um, some people call it using technology today. But I think we have a window, a real and distinct, unique window, um, partly because of the pandemic and people started to realize how important digital delivery is um, and how do we incorporate technology today. Um, but I think we are, whether we like it or not, and I am hopeful about it, which was the question, whether we like it or not, we are defining government systems for, I think, the next generation right now in real time. And I am hopeful that there's all kinds of fantastic people on the front lines who have the idea of human-centered government, including folks on this line who have been in this space um, long before even I've been in this space really thinking through it. And so now's our moment. And it's hopeful to know that we have a whole heck of a lot of people who have been waiting for it to happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think this notion of customer listening and human-centered design has primarily been focused on more on the business side, right? More on the commercial side. Um, and thinking about us really embracing that in government and public services, like that is really, um, really special way in which this field has evolved over time. And so thank you for all the work that you're doing. And thank you for joining us today uh, on the podcast. It was great to to chat with you, learn from you. I'm excited about all of the things that you're working on. And um, we really enjoyed having you. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. It's given me inspiration to talk about it. So I always appreciate that. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, really enjoyed it. It was, it was insightful and great. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you liked it, please share it with a friend or coworker. If you think it could have been better, let us know. Email us at podcast at usertesting.com. Thanks.